Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Let's uh, get right back to these phone lines now, and Roy is up next. Good morning, Roy. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, sir. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Uh, Bob, we're interested in planting an orange tree. Okay. And I think you said that orange frost would be the best variety. Well, I, you know, there's several good varieties out there. Orange frost is the one the Extension Service is promoting, but uh, um, I have to tell you, I like Miho, M-I-H-O. I like Seto, S-E-T-O. Uh, these are, you know, a little bit smaller. They're the tangerines. But my experience so far is that uh, they, you know, they seem to be a little more productive and perhaps a little bit more cold hardy. And so, yeah, orange frost is fine. But uh, if you're going to plant a number of them, be sure and include some of the uh, Miho, the Sito, the Kimbro. Uh, these are also extremely good varieties and very, very productive. Okay. Well, that kind of leads to the next question. Do you need more than one for good pollination or good fruit production? You know, I think anything does a little better, but uh, no, these trees are self-fertile. You're going to get good fruit production so long as you have pollinators out there. That's that's another thing about citrus is citrus blooms very early in the year, and sometimes we don't have as many bees, mason bees, honeybees, all those bees as we really need to actively pollinate, but uh, individual trees are very definitely self-fertile. Okay, sounds good. And then we have a lemon tree, Myers lemon, that we've had in the, one of the big lick tubs for a couple of years. Right. We want to plant that in the ground. Do you have a problem with that? I know I can build a little <laughs> structure, if you will, around it and keep it from freezing in the winter. Time. Oh, well, yeah, look deep into your crystal ball and tell me tell me what the weather's going to be for the next five years, Roy. It's uh, yeah. uh, my uh, women... Uh, a winter like we have had so far, we had an unusual start to it because we were very warm and then we very suddenly got cold. And Myers lemons suffered a lot of cosmetic damage, as did Asiatic jasmine, as did Viburnum suspensum, things that normally have no problem whatsoever. They got some freeze damage early, but we have not had any enough cold to do any problem. I don't think other than that one early spell, we have had a single day or night that i would worry about you know protecting a myers lemon tree because they're cold hardy down to 26 maybe even a little bit colder uh you know with organic growing so it's just you never know i remember winters when it's gotten down to single digits and then you better have a good structure over them but the kind of winters we've had for the past five years uh myers lemons it um you know, have just needed very minimal protection. Last year, we had two really cold nights, and there were only two nights of the year you had to cover them. Right. And do you see a problem with that thing getting root-bound or anything in that deal over a period of time, or even big enough to be top-heavy where it would be hard to handle? And, well, if you keep it in a pot and then move into the ground, yes, I would split the roots around the side of the pot, but it doesn't hurt them to be root-bound at all. I, I worry a little bit 
about uh, circling girdling roots but you're not going to have this in a little one gallon can where that's going to be a real issue if you're going to keep it in a pot it's probably going to be a you know 16 18 inch pot and uh, the only only drawback to growing them in pots is that you would do have to watch your watering a little bit more carefully because a tree can sure dry out in a hurry if we get a dry windy sunny day but uh, um, they'll certainly you you take care of the water the tree will take care of itself it's in one of those big lick-tub bills. It's like yeah. 200-pound, you know, the big one there. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll tell you, if I did decide I wanted to plant that in the ground, uh, of course, you're down where you've got where you can actually dig a hole, but it's yeah. going to be almost impossible to get that thing out of the pot. I'd dig a big hole. I'd put it – I'd set it down in the ground however you can manage, and then I'd simply uh, – get out there with whatever appropriate tool for me to probably be a, a reciprocating saw and i just right. cut the sides off that thing and uh I'd, I'd punch some holes in the bottom of it i'd tip it over and knock a bunch of holes in the bottom of it before i put it in the ground but i i think you'd you probably end up doing a lot of damage trying to get it out of that tub and into the ground i'd put it in the ground tub and all and then cut away as much yeah. of the tub as you could that's what I would do, and I've got a tractor with a front end loader, so I can handle it with that, you know, to, for the weight wash and everything. Oh, you know, the only difference in the men and the boys is the price of the toys. There's just nothing like a good tractor. Best tool I've ever had, that front end loader. Well, that, and uh, I tell you what, if you ever have to do a lot of work, uh, good old skid steer will do it a lot faster than a tractor will, but uh, both of them are wonderful tools, and I've got both of them, so I can tell you. <laughs> yeah. One other question, Bob. I around and it was time and rain and whatever didn't get any spinach or beets planted is it too late to plant that now no go ahead and get it in the ground okay both of them should be just fine okay bob thank you so much it's uh, always a pleasure roy good to talk to you and uh, good luck with your new orchard thank you <laughs> thank bye you bye. bye all right let's talk to tom next good morning tom good morning uh quick qu- uh, three questions one is plywood a ply plasterboard plasterboard is basically gypsum i've been told and we uh, on the farm in ohio i grew up on we used to buy gypsum to put in the soil can you take unpainted uh, sheet rock that uh, hasn't been used and put it in your garden and chop it up a little bit with a rototiller well, you could, but you wouldn't accomplish anything. Um, gypsum works well to loosen soils that are high in sodium. Here in the hill country, here in San Antonio area, the positive ion in our soil is calcium. And putting gyprock or putting gypsum in the soil is a total waste of time. You might as well be putting chalk in the soil. So uh, there, you wouldn't be hurting anything, but you certainly wouldn't be helping anything. We simply, uh, gypsum simply does not react chemically with our soils the way it does in some other parts of the country. So uh, that's one thing might have been good to do at home, but a waste of time to do down here. The next question is, you use a lot of liquid uh, molasses. Uh, if I've, uh, I'm used to using the dry molasses, uh, sweet text, I think it is, or sure. something like that, that I spread. What's the coefficient of um, relationship between the two of them? How much of the liquid do I need to put out on so many square foot of lawn to 
equal uh, a pass with uh, the uh, lawn spreader set yeah. on half half open. You you ask excellent questions, Tom, and uh, the only the only advantage to liquid molasses over dry molasses is cost. Uh, you can, you know, and, and I realize you're not talking acreage, but at the rate of five gallons per acre, uh, which is, you know, translates to less than 10 bucks when you're getting agricultural molasses, uh, you can, you can treat an acre of ground with, uh, with $10 worth of molasses, uh, to get the same, you know, effect with dry molasses, you're probably spending three, four hundred dollars simply because dry molasses is much more expensive. But dry molasses is just as good as liquid molasses. In my opinion, the only advantage to liquid molasses is just the cost savings. So if you want to use it, we generally figure just, you know, mix about one to two, uh, actually about one ounce of liquid molasses to a gallon of water. And a gallon of water will probably do 250, 300 square feet. It's not an exact science. You don't want to go too strong on molasses, or uh, you can actually create so much microbial life in the soil or so much activity uh, that it can damage some plants. In fact, it's actually how we kill nutsedge. But um, uh, there's no advantage to using liquid molasses over dry molasses other than simply the cost savings. And where you're working, you know, on landscape quantities, um, I I would tell you to go on using your dry molasses. Now, here's one thing, and you probably already know this, but many brands of dry molasses, if you don't get them used, put out pretty quickly, they can turn into something that's, you know, harder than, feels like harder than granite. They will harden to the point that they're very difficult to use. There are a couple of companies. The one you're most likely to see down here is a company called Nature's Creation. And I don't know exactly what their secret is, but they produce a dry molasses that does not get hard, that does not cake or clump. So I would be looking at their dry molasses if you want a really good brand of dry molasses to use here, uh, just simply because you don't have that problem with it getting hard like you do with so many of the agricultural types of dry molasses. But I guess that's molasses 101. Did I did I manage to answer your question somewhere in there? Well, uh, specifically, how many ounces of the liquid molasses per square foot and how many uh, pounds of the dry molasses per square foot? I would figure about an ounce, about two tablespoons of liquid molasses for 250 square feet. And in the dry molasses? Dry molasses. I know there's a lot of varieties, but yeah, some, um, something, benchmark. Yeah, dry molasses for the same 250 square feet, I'd probably use five pounds. Roger that. That's what I was after. And the last one is uh, my grandkids are all, the, my kids all moved to Austin, North Austin, Lugerville. <laughs> yes, sir. Is there a good uh, organic store up towards Round Rock? I don't know of one up toward Round Rock. Um, I know that, of course, in West Austin, John, John Dromgul's place called The Natural Gardener, is going to be the most organic one that you're going to find. There is a nursery, golly, I think it's, uh, I, 
do this. Go to Howard Garrett's website, which is dirtdoctor.com. He's got a list of many of the good organic nurseries oh, around this okay. part of the country. Okay. And um, I know there is one up there that is uh, does a lot of organics. But uh, if your kids are, are around Austin very much, Natural Gardener is still going to be the biggest and probably the best uh, equipped of the nurseries up in that area as far as quality organics go. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. It's always a pleasure, Tom. It's good to talk to you. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. Goodbye. All right, let's get back to gardening. I just realized one thing that I forgot to tell you, talking about the uh, Fanix folks over at Fanix Nursery, that 9 o'clock seminar today. Uh, well, all day long today, they're offering 20% off basically everything in the nursery. So there's one more reason for you to get over and enjoy their seminar as well as uh, save some money. Back to the phone lines. It's going to be Lynn, Edith, Tracy, and Alan. And uh, Lynn's up first. Good morning, Lynn. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, I have a question about peppers. Okay. I have had, and I've, they're very prolific because I've had this one's about the third year, and it's still growing. And apparently, this it gets into other pots. <laughs> okay. I, I don't know what, and I don't know are they good to eat or not. They 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 bloom. They're pretty. They're they're green. They turn red. They look like miniature red bell peppers. Okay. Um, basically, every pepper, when it is fully mature or when it's frozen, will turn red. So that is a natural state of affairs. I couldn't, you know, I wouldn't know what kind of pepper you're looking at but i'm basically sure that they are edible now um there's some jalapenos there's some very hot peppers in fact there's one they call the scotch bonnet that is just oh i mean you have to you have to really like heat to eat these things so some people probably would not consider them edible because they are so hot but there's nothing toxic or wrong with them um i'm you know i'm quite sure that uh you know that these could be consumed but i i wouldn't have the first clue as to uh what the flavor is going to be or what the heat level is going to be oh okay but the 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 plant is beautiful and it's you have to even take care of it they're all in pots yeah and and they have they're it's so prolific it's unbelievable well they're you know they um is is it a big plant is it a compact little plant uh how big does a plant get well the one i've had for about three years it's about mm, two feet tall now okay. but it doesn't look real good they look really good when they come up and oh, yeah. they don't get too big yeah in in central america where most of these things come from they are perennials and they typically last three to four years but after a couple of years they sort of you know go through an aging process um that the number of peppers and the quality of the growth really does begin to diminish but it sounds you know this sounds like the little shishito pepper that i've grown for the past couple of years it just throws seeds everywhere and they just sprout and grow so easily so um yeah i i think that everything you're talking about is perfectly normal uh you will of course have to protect them from a real hard freeze 
But um, I'd say three years is probably about an average life if you keep them from freezing. And this one just keeps reproducing itself. So uh, try one, see how the flavor is. Okay, I'll do that. I, I just didn't know I didn't want to poison myself. <laughs> I don't think if it is a if it is a pepper, then uh, I don't think you have anything to be concerned about. Now, I'll tell you the foliage on peppers, just like tomatoes, the foliage can be somewhat toxic, but the fruit, no, the only thing you have to worry about is being uh, too hot for your taste buds. Okay. Well, thank you. Now I'm going to taste one. I've had it for a long time, so I'm going to get one of the new ones that has come up, and I, and I have... They're pretty to look at anyway. Well, you let me know how it works out. I'll look forward to hearing from you, Lynn. Uh, one other question. Okay. I have a fig tree, and when we have that real cold, that freeze in November, right? my fig tree still had green leaves on it. Right. And of course, they froze. Uh-huh. Now they didn't fall off. And they still, some of them are still there. In fact, most of them are still there. A lot of them had fallen off, but mm-hmm. but still the green ones that were on there froze. Is that going to really harm that? Not at all. Not at all. I, You know, my fig trees did the same thing. Uh, most of them, like yours, have fallen off. And I suspect if you bumped one of those leaves pretty hard, it would still come off. But I've seen absolutely no damage to the stems themselves from that freeze and i'm quite sure they're going to come out and do just fine for you this spring if we continue to have the mild winter we've had so far i'm i'm not going to be crazy enough to try to forecast weather but i can tell you that that freeze caused a lot of cosmetic damage on uh, edible figs but no severe damage to the trees at all oh well good then i'll look forward to a beautiful fig tree again this year i'd say by the middle of april you'll wonder if we ever really did have a freeze Okay, well, thank you very much. I appreciate all your help, and I've called you several times, and you've always been a great help. Well, it's always my pleasure, Lynn. Do it again sometime soon, and uh, I'll go ahead and talk to Edith. Good morning, Edith. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. I have (laughs) two questions and a comment. Okay. Uh, I want to buy some heirloom seeds. Now, I'm I'm in Washington County, so I'm away from both Austin and San Antonio where I can get to the nurseries that I normally go to. Yours and uh, John John Drumgold. Okay. Uh, Do you have an heirloom seed company that I could order some seeds from? Are you looking for large quantities or relatively small quantities? Relatively small. I mean, I have four children, and I want to give each of them and myself, I want a packet of uh, various seeds to give to them. I'm getting old, and that's going to be my going away present to them. <laughs> well, it's going to be your, <laughs> it's going to be your this year's present to them. Um, there is a company actually based here in San Antonio called David's Garden Seeds, and okay. they have over a thousand seed varieties many of which are heirloom, and um, they're, you know, sort of a, they're a good-sized trial packet for a home gardener. The number of seeds depends on the type of plant, but uh, they're super reasonably priced. I mean, they ship seeds everywhere. I think they ship uh, through Amazon, and, and they're just real nice people. They actually have a retail store here in San Antonio, but 95% of their seed is still you know, email or online ordering. So you can uh, just Google David's Garden Seed and you'll find uh, a pretty great selection. If you decide you want uh, more, larger quantities of any given seed, 
Uh, check out Baker Creek, B-A-K-E-R, Baker Creek Seed. Uh, they specialize. They have a lot of different heirloom seeds. And, um, you know, you can buy you can buy up in much larger quantities from them if you like. And uh, okay. those would be two good sources. Um, we keep a seed rack. We keep two seed racks at the nursery. One of them is from a company called Renee's, R-E-N-E-E-S. Their seed is all organic, and much of it is heirloom. The other seed company is called Botanical Interests. And uh, Botanical Interest, again, uh, 100% organic, lots and lots of heirloom seed. And they're sort of a medium in-between size package. So you're probably going to find the greatest variety with David's Garden Seeds. But, man, you can go to Botanical Interest and... uh, you know, or Renee's, and you're going to find uh, lots of varieties and good seed there. So that's four different sources, depending on how much seed you're looking for. All right. Thank you so much. Next question is, do you have a a variety of lettuce? I I live by myself, and I like to have uh, particularly lettuce. That's what I like. And I don't like to buy it in the store just because there's always such a – you know, scare of oh, it's isn't it just ridiculous point. how and and lettuce is so easy to grow. Um, I think this one of the for a container. This will this will be I live in an apartment, so it'll be a container lettuce that I need. Check I out think any of actually could be grown in a container, but yeah, check out red oak leaf. Okay. I that is one of the tastiest lettuces, one of the most productive lettuces, and one of the easiest of all of them to grow. Press is a beautiful plant. I mean, you could grow it as an as a decorative foliage plant. And uh, in fact, we sometimes pot up a combination of those with some of the Johnny Jump Ups and the, some of the things that have edible flowers, and just call it a salad bowl. But uh, if you wanted one variety that uh, I'd tell you, I would sure check out to be red oak leaf. All right, thank you. That will help me because I hate buying lettuce in the store, and I just have to have it. I think I must be pork cow or something. I'm not sure. Well, it's mighty tasty and good stuff. Now, it's not going to go through the hot summer months for you, um, but it's, you know, during the cool weather, I think you'll do extremely well with it. You try it, let me know how you like it. I will. And my comment is this. I'm in Washington County. Right. And at about six this morning, I think we had the strongest wind I've ever heard come through here uh, in my life. I've just, it was like, whoa, uh, you know, are we going to blow away or something like that? It wasn't a tornado or anything, but the wind came, you know, Oklahoma yep. type wind cruising down the plane. It came through with bells and whistles and screeches and screams this morning. Well, I'm glad you're okay. They do have tornado watches out just east of you. But, uh, yeah, it blew through the hill country. Uh, let's just say my windmill was singing this morning as I got out and headed for San Antonio. So it is uh, I, anything that's uh, anything that would be damaged by the wind better be protected. I'm glad you've called people's attention to that. Okay. You have a good day. Thank you. Thank you, Edith. I appreciate the call. (laughs) Goodbye. Bye-bye. We're going to talk to Tracy, Allen, and Ben, and Tracy is up first. Good morning. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. My uh, question, okay, uh, I've been looking for Blackfoot Daisy Seed. I've checked every seed company. I can't find it. All I can find is Shasta Daisy. I just wanted to know if they're the same thing. Absolutely not. Um, 
they're actually a whole different whole different genus of plants blackfoot daisy is uh, uh melampodium is its botanical name have you tried wild seed farms uh, up in fredericksburg i did i called them they do not have it oh boy try pan american seed or native american seed i believe they're up in junction Mm-hmm. and they might possibly have it. Uh, are you looking for a big area? How big an area you're wanting to plant? Um, probably, I would say, a half an acre. Okay. And we have native blackfoot daisy, but obviously, you know, it's not enough to... I would just like to add more, Sure. you know, plants. You know, I... I golly, if uh, if if uh, they don't have it up at Wild Seed Farms, I I know I was shocked that they didn't. Yeah, and but you know it's been a weird year for seed between being so dry in the summer, which is when most wildflower seed is collected, and then so wet in the fall. Um, it's 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 it may be. I tell you, next time you uh, next time you call wild seed ask to talk to mm-hmm. uh, john thomas he's the okay. head guy up there and ask him if this is just a bad year for seed or if they and if they will have it sometime um you know this coming year because they're certainly the biggest and best of the suppliers um we get a lot of it uh, you know in in four inch pots i will tell you if you do have a lot of it already around your property It'll be a little bit later in the spring, but it roots very easily from cuttings. I mean, you can make a lot of new plants, but then when you first set them out until they get established, you are going to have to do some additional watering rather than with seed. With seed, you kind of take your chances. You know, if you if you plant the seed and then we get we get enough moisture to sprout it but then it gets very dry then you're in trouble because you uh you know that it they simply die before they can get well established so seed is not totally foolproof it's certainly a lot less expensive and a lot less laborious but uh, i'll tell you if you want to get a bunch of plants you can take a bunch of cuttings off your existing plants this spring root them in perlite and have lots more to set out but um, uh, John's just a great guy up at Wild Seed Farms, and I know he's probably not the one you're going to get unless you specifically call and ask for him or ask for him to call you back. But he can tell you when it's likely to be available. And um, the other person that you could talk to here in San Antonio is Douglas King Seed. And mm-hmm. I know that they that's not something they normally carry. But if you were to call Douglas King and ask to talk to Dean Williams, heck of a nice guy, the guy that owns the company, Dean might have a little more insight on where you can find that seed. Okay, and one quick other question. The yellow uh, small flower that also grows wild here in the Hill Country, um, what is the name of that one? Well, it's a... Yeah, there are a bunch of different ones. Plant taxonomists have a whole category of plants they call DYCs, and that stands for damn yellow composite because there's so many of them and they are so hard to identify. Um, There are probably uh, Coreopsis, Plains Coreopsis, is one of the real pretty small, low-growing yellow ones. there are they're, they're in the hill country wild correct? oh i know yeah there are a bunch of different ones plains coreopsis there is one that many people plant and then wish they hadn't they call a cowpin daisy mm-hmm. 
There are some little low-growing ones. Um, oh, golly. Um, does I, the, does, do the deer uh, tend to eat the coreopsis? Very seldom. Only if okay. they're very hungry. That's good to know. Okay, well, that, I mean, that might be another option as well. Well, and, but see, here's the thing. Um, your, your Blackfoot daisy can be pretty like 10 months out of the year. Your Coreopsis are absolutely spectacular, but for about three months in the summer. Um, mm-hmm. so nothing's going to give you quite as long a bloom season. Uh, there is a new book out, and I don't recall the author's name. This is a book that just came to me about a week ago uh, that is Wildflowers of the Texas Hill Country. The original mm-hmm. book that covers so many of them is by Marshall Enquist, E-N-Q-U-I-S-T. But this is a new mm-hmm. one that is kind of a hybrid between uh, Marshall's book and the Texas Wildflower book that Gaeta Agilis did years ago. I'll try to remember to get that name and uh, and mention it on the air because you know, it's one of the best sources for identifying some of those DYCs. But if you're looking for one that you can plant from seed, I think Coreopsis is the one you're most likely to find. Gotcha. Okay, well, thank you so much. Good luck with it. And thanks for the call, Tracy. Thank you. Certainly. Uh-huh, bye-bye. And goodbye. Good morning, Alan. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, sir. Uh, got a couple questions. First one, I was out cutting my asparagus down. Okay. And I noticed that some of my large stalks, when I start to cut them, they literally are pulling out of the ground, almost like at, at root level. Okay. Is it they just got too wet? It's partly too wet. It's partly also uh, those stalks that do that were probably still fairly green and new when we had that unexpected, well, I can't say unexpected, but that unusually hard freeze back in, what was it, late October? And, you know, asparagus, if it stays there for a long time, it really gets tough. But if it freezes when it is relatively new, it just almost collapses on itself. So um, it could have something to do with how wet it was. But it could also have something to do with just that early freeze, and we had some tender new growth because we had so much rain, as you well remember, in September and October. We had a lot of very tender new growth came out, and that early freeze just, you know, took a lot of it down. So I'm not going to blame it 100% on the wet weather. I think part of it is just uh, the combination of new growth that came on later in the year and an extra hard early freeze. But I doubt that your plants overall are in any trouble. I still would look for you know plenty of good new uh, edible spears to come up this spring so uh, is it okay just to basically let them pull them out there from the base and just keep on and then cut the rest of them that i would normally just cut down to the as far down as i can i would i would concentrate on cutting them down because you don't want to you don't want to do damage pulling anything up but don't worry about anything that just kind of falls over and uh seems to not be attached at the ground but i I I would focus on getting out there, and I need to do the same thing, just getting out there with the pruning shears and cutting it down to ground level. And if a few of them come all the way out, don't worry about it. Okay. Second thing is, over the last couple of years, my garden kind of went to pot because of medical issues. And the Johnson grass and the Bermuda has kind of taken over sections of it. And I had cedar boards for raised beds. But as I get older, I find bending over is getting a lot more <laughs> yeah and i'm going to put in i want to put in some a cinder block uh raised bed so i don't ever have to do it again right 
and some of them I'm going to do just one row because it's for like tomatoes and things, and I don't need like a double row, but for carrots and radishes and things like that, doing a double row. Sure. Um, but I was thinking about putting some cardboard down before I put in my uh, soil and um, mulch mix. To how help how high are you going to make? How high are you going to make your raised beds? Well, for parts of it, it's only going to be one brick high, one cinder block high, and some of them they're going to be two. Okay. And ultimately, three. At, but I just you know I'm going to do it over time. Sure. Well, the the cardboard or multiple layers of newspaper is going to suppress your Johnson grass real well. Um, Bermuda grass ultimately is going to come up through it. So right. I would I would build your beds in the area where you have more Johnson grass. I would solarize this summer the areas where you have more Bermuda grass. Uh, you know, if you have room that you're going to do this over time, I, I do your raised beds over the Johnson grass first because Johnson grass is not that hard to control. But solarization is the only thing that's really going to knock your Bermuda out. Right. Okay. And then one last one. You'd been talking about seed. When my father was alive, he went to a farm and ranch store either on the west side or south side of town, and he bought his seed by the pound in yep. bags. And uh, I don't. He always did it. Yeah. And I never went with him. I don't know anybody that really does that anymore. Greengate over in Seguin will sell you stuff by the scoop, but um, uh, they're the only ones around that I still know. They're on the 123 bypass over on the east side of Seguin, and I'd I give them a try if you're looking to buy in quantity like that. Greengate. Greengate Nursery. Okay. I appreciate it. Oh, Al, I appreciate your call, Alan. Let me get Ben in here before the top of the hour. Good morning, Ben. Is this Bob? Yes, it is. This is Bill, not Ben. Oh, well, good morning, Bill. Just uh, got the wrong name up on the screen there. What's going on, Bill? Well, I know we're in a hurry. Uh, As you know, the Permian Pipeline is coming through Blanco, which means it is coming through my property. Okay. And my question that I need to put in the contract when I sign it Depending on the type of the time of the year, what kind of a plugs or grass seed to replace my coastal? Because it's going to be at least a hundred foot wide. They're going to tear up to put a forty-two inch pipe in. Okay, you know if you you've got a choice, you can always resprig with coastal. Um, and if you're looking to create a good hay, that's probably going to be your best bet if you're just going to want to go with a native seed then uh you know somebody like douglas king is going to have a a really good seed mix 